if you had the chance to change your fate, would you? Hello there and welcome to Magic by Design. We're exploring the mythical forests of medieval Scotland this week with a review of Pixar's 13th animated feature, Brave, first released in 2012. But before we embrace our fate and dive into Brave, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ken and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother slash bear, Garrett. Garrett, how are you? Alright, so it's a movie about changing fate. Yes. The moral is that fate is not set in stone. You can challenge fate, you can overcome fate, and you have a a say in your own fate. What does Merida literally do for this entire movie? When little blue things show up, what does she do? Follow them. What are they called? What are the wisp? But what what are they meant to represent? Fate. So instead, in a movie where we're like, you have authorship over fate, in a movie where you're like, fate is not this thing you have to blindly follow, what does Merida do, Ken? Blindly follow it. Yeah. She sure does. Okay. <laughs> the whole point is that she follows the right path. The, uh, that's the way this works, is that there's a certain fate you follow and there's a bad fate you don't follow, even though this fate led her down a bad road. Like, her mom's only a bear because she followed these fates. And when they pop up at the end of the movie again, there's actually a, probably a very nice moment you can have where they lead her one way and she goes the other. Therefore symbolizing that she is in fact declining where fate is guiding her to chart her own path. Except no, she follows the fates again. <laughs> It was the plan all along. That's how it works. Um, am I thinking about this movie more than Pixar did? Possibly. But legitimately, like, if that's the ending of the movie and the fates are trying to guide her in one direction and she goes in the other to help her mom, that's actually a really nice little moment where she is breaking fate. She is challenging the path that is laid in front of her to forge her own, to claw her own destiny, to write her own story. But now she just follows it again. Then the Willow the Wisp would be like, yeah. That's what I wanted you to do all along. Yeah, we have guided you to, to your own independence instead of this movie about a princess challenging the hierarchy only to really just fit right back into it in the end, doesn't she? She's like, yeah, I will fall into line eventually, but I want to choose which one I marry. I clearly started this podcast telling you how much I loved this brave movie. <laughs> Girl, I didn't remember much about this film other than the broad beats. I the saw- broad bears, beats, perhaps Battlestar Galactica? Yes. Because there's bears in the movie. There's no Battlestar Galacta in the movie. But, or Beats. But you said broad Beats. That's the reason I connected it to bears. It's a, it's a bear. It's, a, it's an office joke. I say as a person who doesn't like The Office. I remember not being too taken by it at the time. It seemed derivative of other Disney films, primarily Brother Bear, as well as numerous other Disney princess films. And I haven't watched it since before the podcast. Has your esteem of it increased or decreased having rewatched it? I'm probably still the same. The I, same. I, I don't think I've changed. I'm... I'm I am where I was in that it was it's kind of like tepid. You know what the big problem with this movie I think is? This movie is released in 2012. Correct. Which Disney movie came out in 2010? Tangled. Tangled. Now the whole idea of this is like Pixar is going to do a Disney princess movie and they're going to do it their way. But when you compare this to Tangled in terms of how they handle Disney princess stories, Tangled is way better. Because as we said on the episode, if you haven't listened, go back. It's a good episode. They played with the tropes, defied them, reorientated them. They tried to redefine it where this film follows them to the T. I really think that's the problem. This film is just a Disney princess movie. Like, this could just be Ariel, you know, being, like, not happy with her lot in life, not happy with the amount the world has put on her and the lack of agency she has in her world. And, like, maybe it's not a terrible thing that that kind of story is now cliché, that, like, a woman challenging her role in the world is now a story that has been told enough that it's a cliché as opposed to not being told at all. But it is a cliché. They do just lean into the Disney princess tropes without subverting them, without reinventing them, in the way that it felt like the likes of Tang 
Tangled did, and then Frozen would be released the year following, which I think really shattered the Disney princess tropes in really interesting ways. As opposed to this, which is just Pixar doing a Disney princess movie without really bringing any of what you would expect Pixar to bring to it. I think they thought they were doing that with the character of Merida, a bit of a tomboy who wants to so decide her own fate. It's just Mulan. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I don't think she like has the same agency over her story as other characters such as Rapunzel in Tangled. And also, she kind of stumbles across the resolution. So she's like, right up until the end. Yeah, everything she tries to do to take agency over her life backfires. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, you said it by her character. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, so she's like, oh, I tried to, to change my fate, except I turned my mom into a bear. I tried to save my mom, and then I failed at that too. And it's like, and like, there's some like fun little slapstick comedy based on the mom being turned into a bear, which I think is the highlight of the movie. Still acting prim and proper despite being a, a massive bear. Yeah, there's some good like physical slapstick there, and it's that's fine. But I don't know. I don't much care for this movie. Movie, I just don't think there's much to it other than it's a just it's a story you saw Disney tell countless times in their kind of like stock standard formula it's the Little Mermaid it's Mulan it's all of those movies Cinderella all of these where you have the lead protagonist all we're short is her singing an I want song but she does want something she is fed up with her lot in life and she wants more it's the standard Disney princess formula and as I said maybe that would be okay if this wasn't two years removed from Tangled which is a much more interesting subversion of that formula. Brave is directed by Mark Andrews and Brenda Chapman, also co-directed by Steve Purcell. Brave was announced in 2008 as The Bear and the Bow, Pixar's first fairy tale. Writer and director Brenda Chapman viewed Brave as a fairy tale in the tradition of Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. She also drew inspiration from her relationship with her own daughter. Uh, she would have directed Prince of Egypt. Yes. I don't think she's gone on to do much since. She was um, a screenwriter, storyboard artist on some of the classics in the 90s. But Well, Gar, interesting that you say that. In October 2010, she was replaced on the film by Mark Andrews. So, do you know when you see co-director, you assume that they're working together on the film? Mm. Quite a lot of the time in Disney and Pixar history that means that the original director was replaced but still has to be credited it's very similar when you see like there's like seven writers on a movie like if any word somebody wrote ends up in a movie they have to be credited as a writer in that movie so like if any idea or concept that ends up being used in the movie that's the reason you end up seeing like lists of writers it's like there and there's ampersands and there's like every single character you see in credits actually has a meaning that is negotiated like whether it's and or ampersand depends on whether it's a writing team or just two individual people wrote it where you see like the semicolons and all that all that is actually meaningful in terms of who is actually contributing most to this movie it's actually interesting stuff she was removed from the film following creative differences with john lasseter john lasseter is becoming quite the villain in the narrative of pixar in in later years is it the classic like auteur genius gets too much power tries to assert too much control over other people's work the same kind of control he would have rejected when he was in his younger days yeah because he was fired from disney and rejected their rigid ways and went off to innovate new technology and new ways of doing animation i think it's it's a classic it's almost like a trope the old guard you know is afraid to let go because they don't want to be undermined or feel like they'll be left behind well that's not the way pixar do things yeah and you know in the process of trying to defend your corner you you almost it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you get removed anyway and this is and like it's not a good look to be like this is the first pixar animated feature to be directed by a woman yes and we fired her 
Exactly. While we do the Disney princess trope where we try to subvert the formula but then end up really just leaning back into it. Chapman said the news of her replacement was devastating but later said that her vision came through in the final film and that she remained very proud of the movie and that she stood up for herself. Which, yeah, like for a film about, you know, a a young woman standing up for herself and controlling her own destiny, that's actually rather ironic. Little on the nose, isn't it? Brave was released in June 2012 to positive reviews and box office success, just over 540 million at the box office off a budget of 185 million, cheaper than previous two Pixar films, which were around 200 million. The film was preceded by the short La Luna by Enrico Casarosa, who recently made his directorial feature debut with Luca. So Much better movie, so there you go. There's something that came out of this. Was La Luna good? I feel like that one was one of the good ones. It's the ones with the, they're basically farming for stars and they're in a boat. Yeah. I remember, nice. I remember liking that one. In terms of the animation of Brave, it's notable because... It, it looks was, bad, is what you're going to say? <laughs> well, it was produced using a new proprietary animation system called Presto. Filmmakers wanted to make the most complex visuals possible, so Pixar completely rewrote their animation system for the first time in 25 years. Little is known about the inner workings of Presto, because unlike previous iterations, it's not for sale and used only by Pixar. So Pixar actually started as a technology company who sold this technology to other companies to use for animation, but they did not sell Presto. Maybe they didn't because people watched this movie and went, ugh. Yeah, you commented very early on that some of the pans didn't look great. They, yeah, they looked framey. They looked like juttery and not nice. I don't think this movie looks good at all. I actually think there's like character models look like something straight out of Shrek. Yeah. You know, those those kind of fairy tale ideas. And maybe that's the idea. Maybe that's the intent, because this is obviously them doing their first fairy tale movie. So they basically copied the, they aped the visual style of Shrek. But it looks bad. Characters look bad bad in this movie yeah it's, it's their typical caricature style but they do seem derivative of things like as you said how to train your dragon which is there is one character in this movie the son of the mustached viking who looks cut and paste like one of those characters from how to train your dragon when did how did you do when? 2010 okay so yeah okay like, like how to train your dragon came out two years before this and there's a character model that looks identical like down to the eyes the exact same as uh, let me look up the name of the character from how to train your dragon so i i get it right but um i think it's it's not fish legs it's this is great podcast content well that's what editing's for it's not jonah hill's character it's god why aren't you listing all of the characters oh well you know the one you'll see i think it's i think it's fish legs why don't you just Google Fishlegs to see if it's right? I'm going to Google Fishlegs Ingerman, the one played by Christopher Mintz Platts. Yeah, that's... No, it is that one. Look. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. identical. Like, look, if you watch Brave, Google Fishlegs from How to Train Your Dragon, and you'll be like, oh, they just ripped that character model off. You gave him a little beard, a little fuzz on the face, and that's the difference. <laughs> the landscape is meant to look eerie and beautiful as well, but like... It's characterless and bland. It is kind of... It's uh, just... It reminds me of um, The Incredibles. The same thing when we live The Incredibles, where it's just like... It's just nothing. There's just trees. It lacks texture as well and, and definition. I, I understand that it's new technology and they had to get to grips with it. And they certainly have since Luca, case in point there. Yeah, and um, I think the, the biggest one is Soul. I think Soul is exceptional looking. But yeah, I, I just if I didn't know any better, I feel like I was watching a Disney movie in some ways. I like 
Tangled looks better than this. We like we critiqued the Disney movies of this era of like the the first 3D Disney movies. You know, like some Bolt. We were like, oh, you know, and, and Chicken Little. We were like, oh, you know, they they don't look nearly as good as Pixar movies. Now we're sitting here watching this Pixar movie, saying Brave doesn't look nearly as good as the Disney movies of this time. And we, I think we were a little unfair to Disney then, because I I don't know what like Toy Story three looked really good. Wally looks great. Up looked great. Why does this look bad? But they're more rich and built out worlds where... They can make this look whatever they want, Ken. Exactly, but this is just a castle and some woods. You can make more than that. It's the same, it's the Frozen thing, where I was like critiquing what Frozen looked like, being like, it's not a film that's really pretty because it's just mountains and snow the entire time. It's like, they could have chosen to put more than mountains and snow there the entire time. I feel as if, I I don't want to give them a pass because of the new technology, but I think they were going for something very complex, but they didn't quite understand how to achieve I, I think it's the opposite. I think they knew this technology was new and they didn't really know what they were doing. So they did the opposite. They're like castles and trees. Play it safe. Following his involvement as director, Mark Andrews shifted the story to give more focus on Merida and her troubled relationship with her mother. He cleared away many of the magical elements which he found affected the environment. So that actually goes into what we're saying here. So maybe it would have been more rich and interesting with some of the more mythical elements. And like maybe that's a thing we critique about Frozen as well. Uh, interesting to compare this to film, uh, film to Frozen on multiple sets. Because it is largely a story about one thing that has magical elements, but the magical elements are unexplained and exist in the background. Very similar to this. But yeah, because we, we talked about how Frozen 2 really delved into the magical elements then. Whereas the first one is just like, yeah, there are, there are rock monsters. Don't think about it. This <laughs> film is like, yeah, there are fates. Don't think about it. He did want to stay truthful to Chapin's story. He said that the bones of the film were totally fine. That was not the issue. What was hanging off the bones, there were problems. There were things that were not working. The focuses and balances were out of whack. So you wonder how much was excluded of Chapman's vision. She says it's pretty close to what she wanted in the first place. But I do think this film suffers from the fact that it has two visions. Mm. It feels like two different films combined yeah the classic case of it's somebody else fixing somebody's story and usually you just lose some character and lose some personality and it, it just smooths everything instead of having like the specificity of one person's vision you instead have like someone hatcheting some one person's vision and like maybe the choices he made were right like maybe the the version of the film in the first place would have been even more bland and generic than this one ended up being because this is a very bland and generic movie but still that he very rarely gets uh like a, a complete complete cohesive piece of art when you do something like that when you're like we're gonna take somebody's vision and we're just gonna get it over the line in a way that's more in line with what we do usually that involves taking out some of the more interesting and characterful elements of it one of the notes i have here Gar, reese witherspoon was initially cast as merida but ultimately left the film due to being unable to master the scottish accent <laughs> why do they keep doing this <laughs> yeah, she was replaced eventually by scottish actress kelly mcdonald now note on reese witherspoon she's from louisiana so i can imagine it would have been quite difficult to adopt a scottish accent but i very much want to hear her attempts like i i, I know why they keep doing it they want to put reese witherspoon on the poster that's why they do and the it. So, like, that's why they always, like, well, let's get Witherspoon to do this Scottish accent instead of just hiring a Scottish actor. And it never goes well. Even when you get all the way to finishing, like, even if she could just about scrape out a Scottish accent to get over the line so they could make the movie with her, it would still be like, everyone would be like, that's just Reese Witherspoon doing a Scottish accent. Why did you make this ridiculous choice? Although I do think it's funny that they cleared out the bench of Hollywood Scottish actors for this movie, because every time they tried to you know do a movie that represents a specific culture you'll see this in some of the more 
recent stories with black actors or or Asian actors that they basically or like the Harry Potter series is the same thing. It's just yeah. like let us find every single British actor alive to play one of the roles in this movie. And, and Frank, the British and Irish actor, they roll them all in. And then you're looking at the legs of Black Panther and Shang-Chi, which were released recently, and they have to basically <laughs> empty the bench because there's not much there in terms of representation. So that's a, a story in itself. a problem in its own right that it's like, we can put all the freaking Scottish actors in this one movie. It's like, well, yeah. To be fair, David Tennant's not in this movie. So there you go. So there's a Scottish actor not in the movie. Even, <laughs> even Craig Ferguson was the talk show host of the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, the voice... He was also in How to Train Your Dragon, by the way. Yeah. The, well, you know, he's Scottish, so... <laughs> In fairness, Dragons aside, it's basically the same movie in some ways. Yeah, except it's it's a a girl version of How to Train a Dragon with bears instead of a guy version with dragons. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, and they also have famous Scott John Ratzenberger. <laughs> of course. But uh, overall, I think the story, it's a, it's a Disney princess story. They, they tried to introduce the whole mythical elements, but I think that they... They're very utilitarian in the way that they adopt that. I think it does feel like there was a lot stripped out. And I think that that was for the sake of making the story lean. But it also makes it devoid of character. Because when you when you think about what the first act is all about, it's about Merida having these rigid rules about what a princess can and cannot be. And you get like the subtext there. You get what they're commenting on, that Disney have these rigid rules about what a, what a princess can and cannot be. And you're like, all right, fine. So they're going to break all of the rules about what a princess can and cannot be. And then you're like, well, they don't do that. (laughs) And that's the disappointing part because for Pixar, when they do things in their own way, they could have totally hit it out of the park with a story that totally breaks the rules for Disney princesses. And it's just disappointing to see them just follow it. Yeah. Follow the formula. And like when they expressly start the movie being like the mother is telling her what a princess should be, like putting the dictionary definition of princess in front of her so that she can act all prim and proper and as princesses should be. So that like the, the whole idea is you break the chains of that and then you, you go free and you make your movie and you can do whatever you want. But they don't do that. And it's really frustrating. I mean, we're used to seeing Pixar come at these different stories and like this is a standard story not even a, a standard disney story it's a fairy tale it's, as such you know we see those elements go right back to before even writing or language you know um they did they just didn't change anything like the, no. the, you would expect something different or interesting from a pixar movie but no and like we just had cars too can we're now officially in two back-to-back disappointing Pixar films territory. Yeah. Where it would have been unfathomable, like, even The Bug's Life, which I don't think is the best movie in the world, is a good movie. And, like, I'm not going to say this is a bad movie. I think it's better than Cars 2. And I think what it tries to do is perfectly fine. Like, the little story it tells about a mother and a daughter, uh, like, falling out and reconciling. Like, that's perfectly fine. It's a nice little story. But it's nothing you haven't seen a million times before. And that's not Pixar. Yeah, and I do feel as if we're falling into territory where Pixar are losing their way. You don't know whether that's the leadership. We mentioned John Laster there. He's firmly at the helm and he's almost ruling with an iron fist by the stories we're telling in these recent podcasts. And we're, we're firmly in this company is just a subsidiary of Disney. Yes, I was about to mention that as well. Six years into this now. Like, they've owned this company long enough that, like, any sense of what Pixar was is gone. This is a Disney subsidiary. And I think it will be interesting in the future weeks to track because we're getting close to the time. Well, not so close, but in, in the next few films, we'll get towards the time where Lasseter was ousted from Pixar. And I'm not saying all their films after that were perfect, but to the point we made earlier, Luca and Soul were doing somewhat more interesting things than Pixar had been doing in the preceding years. Because um, you mentioned two disappointing films in a row. 
Do you remember what we're going to review next week, Eric? Oh no, what's next? Monsters University. Oh no, do we really have to go into like, this is the the period of the podcast where we hit like the Disney 2000s and we're just like, oh no, it's the unimaginative, boring, churned out movie period of Pixar. Yeah, so I don't really have many more notes on the story. It's, uh, I do. I think it's stupid. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gar. <laughs> I have many problems with the way, like, the narrative of this story shakes out. Because, like, the witch tells her, it's like, you have to repair the bonds that were broken. That's not cryptic. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not difficult for her to figure out. <laughs> She had a big row with her mother, and she literally just in the scene before that. <laughs> yeah, and she literally like cut the tapestry that she, right down the middle of their hands together, and it's like, oh geez, what's this witch's clue about? Repair the bonds? Well, what needs to be mended here? And even then, they do the the cliche thing where she thinks it literally means repair the tapestry. It's like, and then it's like, why isn't it working? And then she has to come to the realization very quickly after she realizes it's not working. By the way, she immediately is like, oh no, it's all my fault. And then. Her mother comes back to life and becomes. Uh, well, she's still alive. But yes, but she's no longer a bear. Yeah. And like that, all of that. It's uh, there. You you were with me watching this film. I shouted at this movie multiple times because yeah. <laughs> it's just like if, uh, there was a moment again toward the end where she's like. Uh, the, the, everyone discovers her mother's bear and chases her out of the castle and she's trapped in the room with the tapestry thinking that all she has to do is repair the tapestry and then she will turn back into a human like at no point uh, do we hear one of the characters say to the other and then you have to lay the tapestry across your mother all right that's what you have to do here yeah. but for some reason that's what she thinks she has to do so she has to go chase down the mother with the, the repaired tapestry but like why wasn't she just like, oh, I can fix this immediately by sewing up this tapestry and everything will be fine. Based on what she's been told in this movie and based on what she's told us in this movie, that's all she thinks it needs to be done. But I think she still thinks she needs to pursue because the mother's in danger, so... But you can save her by turning her back into a human. By repairing the... Well, she thinks she can. By repairing the tapestry. And as I said, the, the whole thing about her had taken like 10 minutes to realize that they had... All that needs to be repaired is the bond between mother and daughter. It's like... <laughs> again, the witch wasn't cryptic. Then I had to slip in a bit about Mordu, the bear who takes her dad's leg and is, seems immortal... And then we find out that he's actually technically immortal. because Well, he, he just has the strength of ten men. He has the strength of ten men because a former prince made a request of the same witch to... This witch is a menace. Yeah, because she, she gives him the strength of ten men by turning him into a bear. And then, obviously, he doesn't reconcile his wrong of trying to usurp his brother's three kingdoms. Which, by the way, they also have a broken symbol of their thing, where it's yeah. like they have the four of them together in this rock sculpture, but he is broken off. Yeah, so they didn't fix it, meaning he stayed a bear, and then at the end, he gets crushed to death, <laughs> and, and straight away he's like, I am at peace now, thank yeah. you. Well, to be fair, he's been trapped as a bear for a very long time. It reminds me of the end of Hocus Pocus. Yeah, Zachary Banks. Thackeray. Sorry, Thackeray. Thackeray Banks. They're making a sequel. Yes, looking forward to it, but not looking forward to it. I don't know. People always get mad when sequels to things are bad, and as I always say, the first one's still there. True, but it's just like all these years later, did, did it really need to happen? But no, but it might be good. So you never know. The first one wasn't good. Let's be real. But well, I love the first one. It's, it's good. not a good movie. No, it's, it's good because it's bad. It's, it's, good. it's not even bad. It's just good because you watched it and liked it when you were a kid. Yeah. And I like again. I love the movie. It's not a good movie. Just like the Power Rangers movie. Love the movie. Not a good movie. Just like Space Jam. Love the movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> it's more of a, an emotional connection, but uh. Yeah. No emotional connection to this story, Gar. No, because I don't think... I didn't see this in the cinema either at the time. I remember I watched it on Sky or whatever a couple of years later. So even then, I, I didn't even like invest in this enough to go see it. It's 
it's shaky on a character sense it's shaky in like plot mechanics i don't think it has much in the way of emotional heft you know when like the mother supposedly turns into a bear at the end and like we all know what's coming next that she finally realizes the error of her ways and the mother's turned back from a bear to a human but like none of that got even remotely near to pulling on my heartstrings i was just like all right wrap it up turn her back into a human yeah because like at that point it's just like well you know what's coming and i know that but like like normally in these films if they've done it right you're Mm. you're you know what's going to happen you always know what's going to happen but at least you have a sense of anticipation or dread for want of a better word but like this film just felt like it had no stakes because even the whole more do finale lasted only like a minute maybe yeah the bear shows up fight rock falls and i'm dead so there's no villain in this movie as well which you know i can't think how you would have inserted a villain but at the same time it did miss stakes yeah and again i think that this film is just always fundamentally flawed by just how like rigidly it did stick to the disney princess movie formula while trying to pretend it was subverting it which i think set it up for failure from the very beginning and i said especially coming out of tangled which was two years prior where we do have and even like princess and the frog before that is doing like much more interesting takes on like the disney princess formula and we would have frozen the year following so like while disney is legitimately reinventing what a disney princess movie looks like you're just reinforcing it so like the film was doomed from the very beginning in that regard and it never quite recovered like it i think we've been very down on this movie Um, I feel like it's it's harsh, but yeah, because it's it's really fine. But that's the problem, and fine by the standards of Pixar isn't good enough. You know, mm. when we we talk about the movies like Up and talk about movies like Monsters Inc. and Toy Story and, and Wall-E, like just truly exceptional pieces of filmmaking, fine doesn't cut the mustard. They've set a standard that we come to expect excellence and interesting things about everyday stories, and this isn't it's. It's not an everyday story because it's fantasy, but it's something that we all know and hear in our everyday lives. I cast my mind back to when I heard about Brave, and it was a few years in development, as we said, 2008, so four years. And like when I heard about Brave, I was interested because I, I was like, what are Pixar going to do with this princess story? And, you know, we built up a lot of good faith with with Tangled, as you said, and it just left me disappointed that they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, and like, there's, as I said, there's some good stuff in this movie. As I said, the bear slapstick, good fun. Yeah, like but, humanized bears you probably actually to be fair seen it all before in brother bear yes but it's still good fun and i think the film has both a nice soundtrack and score does we're going to move on to that in a second to its credit though i think that brother bear has an easier time because both characters are bears and but they can vocalize whereas mm. some of the more fun stuff comes from the fact that she can't express herself yeah even then i was shouting at the movie again when she was like clearly she's telling you to take your bow off the table merida you're such a stupid daughter Kara, one of the saving graces for this film as you mentioned is the score the score for brave was composed by patrick doyle and performed by the london symphony orchestra the orchestra was conducted by james shearman to bring some of scotland's native flavor to the music doyle used traditional celtic instruments such as bagpipes a solo fiddle celtic harps flutes and the bowron which we have here in ireland as well bowron we do share a lot of celtic culture with our friends in the scotland in the scotland yes quote from the scotland yeah Quote from Doyle, I employed many classic Scottish dance rhythms such as reels, jigs and strathspeys, which not only serve the action but keep it authentic. As part of his research, he spent time in the Hebrides studying unaccompanied Gaelic psalm singing. Not many people know this, Gary, you touched on it, but Scots, Gaelic and Irish are actually very, very similar and some of the words are identical in some cases. Yeah, they're both 
rooted in the same language because there was originally the single language of Gaelic which we shared and obviously they they splintered and rooted off and like Irish is a, a variation on that and then Scots Gaelic is a variation on that I don't know do they speak Scots Gaelic much I don't even know I think it's there I think it's niche like it is here and possibly even more niche than, yeah because I, I obviously know that like the Wales have a culture of speaking Welsh and obviously we have a culture of trying to keep Irish alive I'm not as much sure about Scots Gaelic but I, I, I really admit I'm ignorant about that yeah. so I mean at one point we see them play Shinty which is very close to hurling as yeah. we have it and they still have that so I imagine that they have some pockets of Scotland that try to keep those traditions alive mm. but Doyle also wrote a number of songs for the film to add to the ones composed and performed by popular artists on the soundtrack one of which we will hear a little later on so yeah like the music and the instrumentation is nice I think we respond to that in particular because it's within our own culture mm. but it's just really nice you have like Mumford and Sons and some of the more popular artists at the time adding to the soundtrack but it doesn't sound like it's outside of the rest of the music of the movie it all fits together nicely yeah like and because it's like those songs are written by Montfort and so not performed by yeah. so it keeps a coherent musical feel to it by uh, Birdie is apparently the person who performs the Montfort and Son song yeah I actually like all the songs in this movie because they do tell us something about the story but also they're just nice songs and they fit within the overall motif but again it kind of goes back to making it feel more like a traditional Disney princess movie because yeah. like Pixar aren't really particularly known for songs like there's whole episodes where Nicole has been absent yeah. due to the lack of songs in these Pixar movies or if this has several songs as a Disney princess movie would to mm. your point songs that drive the narrative I suppose they stop short of people singing the songs yeah. other than Billy Connolly who sings songs but it's more of a spoken word thing yeah, talk singing moving on to the legacy of this film Brave is dedicated to former Pixar co-founder Steve Jobs who died in October 2011 before the film's release so there's a, a tribute to Steve Jobs in this film yeah in the, the end credits and maybe the fact that one of the Scottish tribes was called Macintosh might be also its own ah yes because tribute. it actually McIntyre probably would have fit better yeah this is the first Pixar film with a female protagonist as well as the first Disney princess created by Pixar. It feels like this was what this film was all about, a vehicle to create a new Disney princess. So you can sell the action figures and you can put them in Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, and you know, the theme parks, all that stuff. The film won a hat-trick of animation awards, the Academy Award, Golden Globe and BAFTA for Best Feature Film. Mm. And as much as she was replaced, Brenda Chapman is the first woman to direct a Pixar film. Yep. But then she was replaced. But then she was replaced. And undermined. So, yep, let's see. Frankenweenie, have you seen that? No. Uh, Paranorman, have you seen that? Yes. Wreck-It Ralph was the other movie that year. And actually, the film I would have given it to over Brave, Pirates and Adventure with Scientists. Actually, a very fun film. I like that movie a lot. So that would have been my pick for the best animated feature that year. Yeah. I, also like, I, I think I like Paranorman more than this. I probably Brave and Wreck-It Ralph, I know I was down on Wreck-It Ralph, but I still probably prefer Wreck-It Ralph over Brave. Yeah, all these movies were robbed. To sum up, I think it's almost ironic that this film is called Brave because there's nothing really brave about it. They haven't. Oh, oh, <laughs> you got them. Owned. Yeah. Owned. They haven't broken the mold here, as you would expect from Pixar. And in fairness, it sounds like we hated this movie. I would never say that because it is an enjoyable watch, but it's not anything that you haven't seen before, as you said earlier. It's derivative of other works. If you take it on its merit, I think it's a, it's a solid watch for an evening. It's perfectly fine. And it's short, yes. which helps. It doesn't drag. It's it's less than ninety minutes in terms of actually like screen time before credits. So yeah, like it's it's perfectly fine. But it's not the film that it could have been, or I wanted it to be. And so- it's it's just not the it's not of the standard you expect from the studio. 
Though maybe these days it should be. I think they're coming around again, guys. So I think it will be interesting to track that over the next few weeks. That we we literally went through like the Disney thing, where it's like we have the boom period of like the, the most artistically interesting films that the studio ever makes. Then we have the cheap, lazy, let's do Cars 2, let's do another Monsters movie, let's throw out an Incredibles, let's reboot The Good Dinosaur entirely, let's throw out the director of Brave mm-hmm. and finish it. And then you get into the period where they're like, ah, oh, we're back again. We got Coco. We got, we got Soul. Soul. Inside Out. Yeah, we got some of the best movies we've ever made. Maybe they should just like ask Pete Doctor to make all their movies. I think, I think so. Maybe that's the lesson they should have learned. But we'll find out in the coming weeks. All right, Clan McMagic, it's nearly time for us to cross... Clan McMagic? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's nearly time for us to cross the ocean on a, a voyage home for another week. Resident Magic by Design singer Nicole is here in just a few minutes with something special for us. But first, one last tale. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by our website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast platforms. We are everywhere on the internet. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Discover the world of Magic by Design on social media by seeking us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod, on Twitter at magic design pod, and on Instagram at magic by design pod. If you like the show and want to be a champion to help us win new listeners, please do consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you don't give us a five star review, we will curse you and turn you into a bear. Or worse yet, a Scotsman. How dare you? <laughs> Ken just disrespecting the entire nation of Scotland here on the podcast. Come at me. Next week, we will be watching Pixar's 14th animated feature, Monsters University. So be sure to tune in for that. But until then, stay safe and remember, our fate lives within us. You only have to be brave enough to see it. With words, Gare. Very brave. Now then, it's time for a musical finale that only Magic by Design can deliver. Nicole is in her element this week. She's here to send us off to our slumber with a rendition of Patrick Doyle's original Gaelic lullaby, uh, Wyden Usul Bon, or Noble Maiden Fair, from Brave. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. <laughs>